Our reading for the day comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Or who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. History is filled with unsettled controversy. Some of these controversies will never, ever be resolved. Some of these controversies even continue to be debated today. And these are serious debates, serious controversies, serious things that divide many of us. Serious things such as Pepsi versus Coke and Twizzlers versus red vines. And of course, if the dress is black and blue or if the dress is white or gold. Now, Twizzlers and red vines and Pepsi and Coke, I imagine you're all fairly familiar with, but the dress is the thing that you may need to be refreshed on. So here's the story of the dress. The year is 2015. A woman goes shopping for bridesmaids' dresses. She finds something that she really is is interested in, so she snaps a picture of it, and then she puts it up on social media to ask for opinions. The internet, believe it or not, had opinions. The internet exploded with opinions, not necessarily about the style of the dress, but about the color scheme of the dress. Many people saw the dress in shades of black and blue, while fewer, but still a great number of people, saw the dress in colors of white and gold. And to tell you the truth, I have seen it both ways. I've seen it both ways. Most of the time when I see this dress, it comes in as black and blue, but a few occasions I've seen it as white and gold. So some of you remember the dress. If you don't, then, then let's go ahead and see this dress that we're talking about. Now, don't go whispering to your neighbor just yet. Don't say what you see. I want you to keep it to yourself. I'm going to ask you for a show of hands to tell me what colors you see. Be very very proud of your answer. There's no shame in your answer. So raise your hand if you see black and blue. Okay, good. Raise your hand if you see white and gold. Okay, fewer, but, but still, there are those who see it as black and blue. There are some who see it as white and gold. As you can see, very divisive and serious stuff that we have here. Our, um, our, our sermon today is on a text that is very similar. It's been a very debated topic, a very heated conversation. Our text today comes from Matthew, and in this, this passage in Matthew, Jesus approaches the disciples, and he asks them a question. He says, hey, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And so the, uh, the disciples, they, they have an answer, and so they tell it to Jesus. They say, 
Well, some people say you're different things. Some people say that you are John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. To us here in 2023 on this side of history, we look at that and be like, what do you mean he's one of those people? Like, it's very clearly Jesus. At this point in history, this was a common assumption that that the Christ, the Messiah, the one who God sends, had to be one of these um, prolific prophets of the past. And so that's what many people believed. So Jesus takes that answer and he receives it and he he asks them a follow-up question. He says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? So no longer is Jesus asking the disciples, who do the people say that I am? Now he's asking the disciples specifically, who do you say that I am? And so Peter, in Peter form, he steps forward as the spokesman for the disciples, and he gives an answer. He says, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus loves this answer. Jesus loves this answer. He commends Peter for this answer. And Jesus loves this answer for for many different reasons, but the three that we're going to talk about just briefly are this. First off, Jesus is identified correctly as the Christ, the Son of God. The second thing has to do with the, uh, the geography of all of this. The text begins by saying they were in the district of Caesarea Philippi. This was a district that was really well known for the many, many gods that were worshipped in this place. Gods such as Baal or uh, Greek gods such as Pan were very, very popular in this place. And so Peter gives a very intentional answer. He says that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That word living is really intentional. He says, you are the son of the living God. He's saying, you are different than all of these other fake, false, and dead gods. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, the one true God. The third thing that is great about Peter's answer is the timing of it. Earlier in chapter 16, just a few verses before this, you have this interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders. And their leaders go to Jesus and say, hey, if you are who you say you are, why don't you show us? Give us a sign. Perform a miracle. Do something cool. Show us that you are who you say you are. Peter, on the other hand, doesn't ask for a sign. He doesn't ask to see anything. He doesn't speak from what he sees. He speaks from a place of faith. And so Jesus loves this answer, and Jesus gives a response back to Peter. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And that is where the debate begins. That's where the divisiveness begins, because the question now becomes, what is the rock? What is the foundation? What is the foundation that Jesus is going to build his church on? Now, there are two popular understandings for what this might be, two popular ways of thinking about it. The first one is that Peter himself is the rock. Peter himself is the rock. That's the the first one. And you could see how people might get there because Peter in Greek is derived from this word petros, which means rock or stone. So you, you could potentially understand Jesus to say that you are Peter and on Peter I will build my church, or you are the rock and on this rock I will build my church. You can see how somebody might, you know, come to that understanding. The second way of understanding it is not that Peter is the rock, but the confession that Peter gives. That is the rock. Jesus is going to build the church on the foundation of the confession that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
So those are the two ways of thinking about it, but which one is it? Which one is true? Which is the one that we are gathered around here today? Is Peter the rock? Is Peter's confession the rock? Is the dress black and blue or white and gold? It's all highly divisive stuff. Now, I know that it's a little bit annoying to do this. It's a little bit annoying to try to answer a question with a question, but I've had a lot of coffee today, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask us not just one question, but a series of questions that I think will help us come to our answer. And my first question is this. What if we weren't here? What if there was no more Calvary? No more Calvary Lutheran Church on Sunday mornings. No more Calvary Lutheran School come Monday morning. No more Calvary Lutheran. No more Pastor Sam. No more Pastor Ebert. What if there was no Calvary? What if we weren't here? Now, don't get me wrong. I hope that we are never, ever in a position to have to ask ourselves those kinds of questions. And I've got no reason to believe that, that we are anywhere near a position to ask those kinds of questions. But it would be ignorant of us if we didn't admit that there are many churches, there are many schools who are in that position of asking, what if, what if we weren't here? Or are we going to be here next week? Are we going to be here next school year? What if we weren't here? Um, my wife and I, Molly, we, we moved here to Calvary in 2017. And before that, we were living out west doing ministry there. I was at a, uh, a church doing youth ministry, and uh, Molly was working at a, a Lutheran school um, as, a, as a classroom teacher. Um, we lived in a small town, and we commuted. I went 45 minutes south, and Molly went 45 minutes north. And when, when Molly went to work, it was a small school. These classrooms were not classrooms of one grade. They were classrooms of two grades. So you had first and second together, uh, third and fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and one teacher for each one. Well, why would they have that? It wasn't because that's what the teachers wanted to do. It's because the whole school had about 50 to 60 students in all. You can compare that to uh, our Calvary school. Right now we are, we're well over 200 in enrollment, over 250 in enrollment, um, kindergarten through eighth grade. So this school had about 50 to 60 students, and so we get out there for our first year, and we're we're all excited, and um, that school is is doing some really great things. The numbers are small, but but Jesus is just at work all over the place. The teachers are amazing. They're confessing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. The kids are coming to know Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they go through that first school year that we're out there, and the springtime comes around, And the school finds itself asking the question that no school wants to ask. Are we going to be here next year? And so they decide, hey, we've got to have this meeting. We've got to answer this question. So they they put a date on the calendar, and they go and have this meeting. And they look at the enrollment numbers, and they have some discussion about it. And then they put it to a vote. Are we going to remain open, or are we going to close? They vote, they count the votes, and they decide, we've got this. We can do this. We're going to turn this thing around. And so they're going to remain open. So they go through that summer. The kids come back. They're all excited. They start another school year, amazing school year. Once again, Jesus at work being proclaimed as the Christ, the Son of the living God. The kids are coming to know who Jesus is. The kids are proclaiming who Jesus is. 
Springtime comes around, and the numbers remain the same. About 50 to 60 kids. So they decide, we really don't want to, um, but we should, we should probably have another one of these meetings. And so they put another date on the calendar, and then the date comes, and they have the meeting, and they look over the numbers and the budget and the enrollment and all that stuff, and they have their conversations, and then they put it to a vote. And they count up the votes, and they decide, we can do this. We got this. One more year. We can do this thing. So they go through the summer. Um, fall comes around. The kids come back to school. They're all excited. They're still, you know, at home at their school. Jesus continues to be at work. Um, Jesus is doing amazing things all year long. The springtime comes around. Once again, 50 to 60 students. So for consecutive years now, they've got to ask that question that nobody wants to ask and nobody wants to answer. Are we going to be here next year? So they go to the meeting for the third time at least. They're, they're looking over the numbers. They're having the same debate that they've had from years, years past, and they put it to a vote. And the vote changes. And no longer can they answer that question the same way that they had in the past. They all of a sudden find themselves in a position where they're realizing this is the last school year. This is the last spring that we have together in this one place of professing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, all together. And it was a really sad day. It was a really hard day. So the next fall comes around. Those 50 to 60 students are enrolled in different schools now. Some of the staff has retired. Some of the staff has gone on to find uh, new places of employment. Everything is different for these 50 to 60 individuals except for the one thing that remains unchanged, that Jesus continues to be proclaimed as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not in one singular place that they're used to, but now they're scattered into 50 or 60 different places proclaiming the exact same thing, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They weren't bound by that one place. They were sent out as the church into different places. So while they're all in different places now, the church remains unchanged. So what if, what if that were us? What if there was no more Calvary Lutheran Church or school? It would admittedly be a really, really hard day. It would be a really, really sad day. But the church would continue to be the church as long as the people were willing to do the work of confessing Christ as the, the son of the living God. See, the church is bigger than any one person. It's bigger than Peter. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than, than you. And I don't say that to minimize the efforts of anybody in this place, but to emphasize the gift that the church is to God's people from God. The church is this amazing gift that's not bound by one person or one place. So as Jesus responds to Peter's confession, Jesus then gives his own response. He says, you are, the, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And he goes on to say that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I don't know about you, but if, if the church was built on me, if I was the foundation of the church, I don't know how long that church is going to last. Because me personally, I am just not that strong. 
but a group of people gathered together around the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. A group of people gathered together to offer each other their gifts and their abilities and their time and their talents. A group of people gathered together to love each other as Christ has loved them, to gather together to forgive each other like Christ has forgiven them. That is an unstoppable force. That is a blessing. That is something that each and every one of us get the blessing of taking shelter in, of taking refuge in. That's a gift that's not bound by one person or one place. And so today, as we consider that confessional foundation that the church is built on and the gift that the church is, I also want us to take just a brief moment to pause and also appreciate these things that we do every, every week. It's called the creed. We haven't said the creed yet today, but we're, we're going to. The creeds are something that we do pretty much every week. We come together, and these are our statements of what we believe what we believe about our God and what we believe our God has done. Often, that's how we preface them. We say, we stand for the creed as we confess who our God is and what our God has done for us. We're, we're going to say the Apostles' Creed here in a minute. This is a creed that was created just after the time of Jesus, hundreds of years ago. And churches have been saying it all over the world for hundreds of years. God willing, churches are going to be professing this creed about who God is and what God has done for hundreds of years to come. So we're going to say this creed, and as we do that, I want to give, give you all a little bit of an assignment. While we're saying it, I want you to take five seconds. I just want you to bow out. Just don't say anything for those five seconds. It's okay to, to, to bow out and not say what's on the screen. God, God knows what's, what's in your heart during those five seconds. What I want you to do is I just want you to listen. Listen to the, this powerful experience of everybody in here confessing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And also, as you listen, be reminded that churches all over the world are confessing the same creed with us today. Churches all over the world are confessing the same thing, and that is the thing that unites us. So as you speak this creed, and as you listen to the others speaking this creed, know that Christ is building his church on it, and that through it, he blesses each and every one of us. So let's go ahead and let's stand as we prepare to confess who our God is and what our God has done for us. Do we have our creed up on our slides next? Oh, we don't have them. All right. Hey, that's okay. So we're going to do this a little bit differently. Many of you know the creed. If you do, then lead it nice and, nice and strong. If you don't know it, then that's okay. This is, you get to listen for the whole time and take, take, take power Take power in, in, in listening to that. So here we go. I believe in God the Father, mighty, maker of heaven and earth. Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived with the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 